Hey folks, it's Tabby. Just wanted to introduce our guest Sarah. You may have remembered her being mentioned by Steve on the Casino Royale podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Rebecca and there will be spoilers as always, um, but I just wanted to especially mention that if you are intending on reading this book, you might want to do that first. Um, it was one of the most satisfying literary journeys I've taken, um, and I would not want us to ruin that for anybody. Um, let's get on with the show. Last night, I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. It seemed to me I stood by the iron gate leading to the drive, and for a while I could not enter, for the way was barred to me. Then, like all Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to Modern Life Pod. Today we're talking about Rebecca Hitchcock film from 1940. I'm here today with Stacy. Hi. And our special guest, Sarah. How are you doing, Sarah? I am doing well, thank you. Beautiful. Um, before we get started on the main topic, let's just dive into our Modern Thoughts segment. So I've the only thing I've really been doing is listening to a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Um, Interesting. And it it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, so the main person reading the book, his dad wrote like an erotic fiction, except it's not very good. And for <laughs> each episode, they read a chapter and they can barely get through like one line without something totally ridiculous taking place in the book. Or it, it's just absolutely hilarious. And, I, and a lot of like really famous people have been on the podcast like Elijah Wood and Emma Thompson because it's just blown up um, so it's just hilarious oh that's actually really cool <laughs> I very recently started kind of getting into podcasts so I will check that out right on what's on your mind <clears throat> what you got um I've kind of been noticing the hypersexualization of serial killers lately with the emergence of the oh, yeah. Ted Bundy tapes and then the new Zac Efron movie and then the um the series you on Netflix and it's just been kind of really interesting to see everybody's takeaway on that I read the book you before watching the series and there's just been com- some kind of opposite views on <laughs> how okay certain things are because you know it centers around a character that's very deeply in love quote fingers with the um female focus within the show and the book but you know it just crosses lines that shouldn't societally be okay which obviously as did Ten Bundy, but people are kind of so blown away by the physical appearance of the characters that they justify this whole slew of things. And it's just really fascinating to see the psychology behind, you know, in the times that this is now going on and knowing what the real life versions of this actually did, how much people are willing to forgive based on the glamour of it. So I've been thinking about that. We were talking about that the other day, how that is something that affects women mostly, where they'll just write letters into jail and are obsessed yeah, like that a is whole like psychology behind like these women like becoming obsessed with like a, like people that are in jail like not so even ever met yeah. them before like they're already in jail they're obsessed with them and they like will do anything for them yeah like a huge that was actually um what's the manson manson was the worst he had like mm-hmm. really slew yeah yeah, it was like crazy what some of the women would do for him. Yeah, and even beyond man's, I mean, when I went to the uh, Museum of Death in Los Angeles, then a lot of the serial killers that they kind of profile within there had people that wanted to marry them in jail and that wrote to them frequently. And mm-hmm. it's just, it kind of says something about our culture that I think is kind of having a little bit of a resurgence right now with all the media that's surrounding it. Mm-hmm. So I think it just has to do with like women like having this idea, like being stare like program that they have to change like they can change them into a better person like this this idea that it you don't have to find them the perfect like the guy and hold him up to a set of standards but you can make him that like a project yeah right it's like dude no (laughs) (laughs) obviously unhealthy but still popular at the moment (laughs) i don't i I think it's just at the moment i think it's just an ongoing thing i think it's just being highlighted right now in Mm. media because of uh everything's kind of going on yeah Yeah. stacy what you got um, my modern thought is um, taking a, so a class about kinesiology, and um, I actually hate the class. Uh, <laughs> I love the material that it's representing, but the class in itself is really going through like the different subcategories, and in doing so, they're like really promoting like work within those categories, and that's not what I 
want to learn about. I want to learn about the actual material, not about the jobs that can be provided from it. It's almost, I feel like it's almost a, uh, huh. Uh, what's the word? It's it's almost like an advertisement for the for the business. Yeah, and it kind of bothers me. But regardless, this last week was probably so far the most interesting. It was about the sociological aspect of kinesiology and how it's developed, and how those reflections in society are being played out basically through sports. Like you can see where we're at during different times based on how like media coverage media coverage is on those things so like perfect example be like women in media right now like we just did this huge segment and like actually had a conversation with your brother about it last night and like why is there so much more media coverage on male sports than female sports is it because male sports are more interesting is it because there's more money involved is it because the or is it the opposite where it's a reflection of how the media pushes those things for, so that then money comes toward it and people are more interested. Mm, right. You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting because I had to like read a discussion about the showmanship and like how that plays on like how females are not, do not go the extra mile of like doing the dunking and like your brother brought up an interesting point about like how sexism, like women are so wanting to be equal that like we're shorter by nature. So we had to have the height, the, the uh, basket hoop like go up to the same level as the guys because we have to be able to prove that we can do it but now they don't dunk as much because it's harder right so i don't know i just thought it was interesting to yeah, see yeah like what's the yeah like standard yeah yeah because like you, you go onto that? like the espn website and it's literally like the 54th article down is actually about a female like sports so it's like oh that's interesting yeah no it's like literally hmm. but it kind of is interesting to see like we, they play just as much, but they have half the viewership. So what's... But then also, I think when the um, American women's uh, soccer team, remember they were suing FIFA uh-huh. or something because they weren't getting paid as much as the men, but they're, they actually made more money than the men. Like, it didn't, it didn't make sense. It was just like... And they, I don't remember if they won, but the girls actually make more money and are more popular than the boys because the boys suck at soccer. Interesting. No, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all, but yet you probably won't hear anything in the yeah. news about it. Right. And that's why I'm saying like it's interesting to see if it's really like a direct... Okay, a perp- another example would be like um, the expectation of those women, like what they're being held up for standard-wise and what a male's being held up for standard-wise. So like Serena had that huge thing where she like broke her racket and was like a total like biatch basically like to the ref and everything and there was like she got so hit for it she lost like backers like everything right but if I don't know how many times have you guys seen like um, a man throw a, a man fit. throw a yeah. fit oh no that's a very tantrum, very common it's thing like expected it's like okay it's it part did. of the sport almost yeah. it's like oh he's really passionate about this yeah. he's really upset mm. about what just happened and then wasn't there that other woman recently who um, changed her shirt really quickly on the short on the court and she got docked points because for taking her shirt off and it was seen as an inappropriate display whereas right. a lot of men play shirtless it was this huge case about it and uh, because <clears throat> but it's really it was on inside out or backwards and she flipped really fast and I think she was docked actual points within the game or something for being inappropriate yeah. and that's and then I mean, that's what I'm talking about I mean it goes back to even like when you had like the women's first um, like baseball league basically when the men all went off to war during mm. World War II they did a movie on it, it was like the League of Their With Own Madonna yeah oh, I, I love I love yeah. League of Their Own it was an amazing movie but it's actually based on true facts it's based on you know the men all left and they needed something to like things so they started a national women's league and it was like they went through like a, a so much torture those women like oh yeah of like they wanted them to wear skirts it's like mm-hmm. it shows their legs Legs. and the bruises and the tears and And, that kind of stuff yeah it was just just like crazy the amount of like basically the view of women having to be these like little angels or like these little perfect like mannered and it's just it's still there today and i you think that we had gone past it but we haven't i don't know i found it interesting that's my modern thought speaking of perfect angels Let's talk about Rebecca, who never did anything wrong in her whole life. I mean, it really is portrayed that way. She is just oh so innocent. Let's do a really quick recap. So the Hitchcock movie is based on a novel by Daphne du Maurier. And 
I can never say that name right. Um, no, you got it. Daphne de Maurier. <laughs> but it's about um, kind of a girl in her 20s who's pretty much an orphan uh, working as a companion and she ends up falling in love and marrying this kind of great man you know somebody with an estate and a house and servants and um, it's about her getting used to that lifestyle and then also dealing with the shadow of his dead wife kind of always being in the house and that's that's pretty much it and all the crazy stuff that happens <laughs> along the way <laughs> <laughs> oh, your face. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy's already fuming. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and which, again, I do understand. Like, I, I loved the movie. I love the book. And I honestly, I understand why you're making that face now. <laughs> Start us off, Stacy. Uh, uh, everybody loves this movie, obviously. The two girls I'm sitting <laughs> with are, like, obsessed with it. Um, they both read the book. I have not. So maybe I would feel differently if I had read the book. Um, I think the book, the movie is done brilliantly. I think that the acting is phenomenal. I think that the set and just the cinematography in the movie is just how it shows the imagery and like how it, it explains how the mood is and sets like how people are feeling and just the background and like kind of foretells. Brilliant. I hate the characters. Absolutely hate them. Even the dog, Jasper, <laughs> Stacy. No, Jasper is actually okay with me. <laughs> Jasper is an awesome dog. Come on, he was pretty awesome. Not gonna lie. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, and for me, that's a big draw for me to any movie, anything. Like, mm -hmm. I have to find something, somebody in it that I like. And they really don't because, I mean, the minor characters, they do a really good job. I mean, Frank's a very loyal and great Frank character. Frank one of my favorite literary characters. Yeah, that Frank's a homie. Say. That's kind yeah. of his whole thing. Like, Frank just really has his back through everything, and he's yeah. just very no, supportive. He, and He's definitely one of that I like the most, but I, the fact that he doesn't question anything true ever bothers me because it doesn't seem real to me. What about the sister? How did you feel about Beatrice? Um, I liked her honesty. Um, she was a stereotypical like what what are you about to say Stacey? she's like she's so like full of herself and like she just knows best and i liked how honest she was but at the same time like if i even if i was as weak and it was as anxious and insecure as the leading lady is i still don't think i would just sit there and be like yeah and then change my hair and then change i don't know i just i found the characters i yeah, I think that's something that's very difficult to do with this book in a movie version. Because I also watched the 1997 show that they had. Mm -hmm. And so much of the dialogue is internal for Mrs. De Winter that it's almost, it's very difficult to put that like on the screen. Well, did you, did you know that how they got her to act the way she was like so mousy and insecure? You oh. know, that they like told her, okay, so the original person that, Okay, so Lens, uh, Laura Olivier, he um, was dating, his lover was Vivian Leigh. Okay. okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. They, so they worked in Vivian Leigh was up for this role. But when she read for it, she they wouldn't believe that she was as mousy oh, no, as she no was. Oh, no, no way. Right. She's too powerful. You yeah. know what I mean? She's too much of a presence. Well, Olivier was furious that they didn't cast her. So he was horribly mean. To the leading, I forget her name. What's her? What's her? Joan Fontaine. Name? Joan Fontaine. Horribly mean to her throughout the entire. Which I'm sure set. Hitchcock just loved because well, his actually, oh, yeah. saw it, played off of it, and told yeah. her, told her that everyone on the set hated her. Oh, that is so. So she cruel. went around the entire thing thinking that every single person hated her. So that's why she was acting so like. She was able to because it is believable. It. Honestly, yeah. really, I actually <laughs> thought. She was one of the performances I didn't like that much. No, honestly, I think that, I mean, it might have been hyped up a little bit, but it was still believable enough for me to be like, oh, she is just viscerally uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, just her mannerisms and her, just the, how she carries herself is so, just like, she's like trying to, sh yeah, like she's like this, physically yeah, trying to shrink yeah. herself and make herself the smallest presence possible. And that I felt like she did very consistently, which might have added mm -hmm. to the believability of it for me. A lot of people say that the reason she had to <clears throat> overplay was because she was actually way prettier than the role should have been. Oh, and portrayed. that's actually, that's one of the first things I noticed. I'm like, okay, they cast it well. She's, she's 
unassuming enough where I can see her playing the part. But and I have to think about the fact that because the book is narrated by her, she is in a lot of ways an unreliable narrator. So she might actually not be quite as unattractive as she portrays herself Mm -hmm. within the book. But she is supposed to be a lot mousier she's supposed to have like I mean she describes her hair as limp and thin and she just describes herself as basically you know (laughs) nothing the fact that she is so shocked by his interest in her pretty much up until the end of the novel kind of speaks to how she views her own appearance especially when compared with somebody like Rebecca who's supposed to be this unbelievably beautiful and just glamorous presence I mean I'm sure that would mess with even someone with a stronger backbone but I just felt like at the beginning I was totally with her and then towards the end her whole the only face she made was like uh, uh, no like she's on the, the verge background. of screaming yes and especially I, in the courtroom when I'm just yeah <laughs> just towards the end I was a little over it if that makes sense. I can like, see that because for me it was just I I just didn't buy her transformation I, I just didn't I don't under I just I can't even grasp their love affair like I, I, I get that she's a sort of weak thing, but like he's constantly throughout the thing, like just demeaning her. And that was one of my biggest takes, especially with how that's viewed now, just the level to which he infantilizes her. Oh and I never say that word right, but I mean, he is, it's borderline, not even borderline abusive. Like no, I think, abusive. yeah, it's the like first thing, abusive, like wait, <laughs> when he's in the, the car, he, he like, pro, like the way he, yeah, stop by is to eat do this do that exactly he's getting upset no he treats her like a child he really really (laughs) does does. and actually he makes several comments about her age and how young she is exactly which that's constantly all kinds of complexes he like correcting her like she was a child i wrote that yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) sorry no and i mean even in the beginning i mean i get what she's saying when especially the two car scenes one where he stops the car and says if you believe that you can get out and walk back which is just a horrible thing to do to anybody and And then something that you you would say to your child exactly like Like, i will i will turn this car around (laughs) and then the other one where she's saying you know i'm one i wish i were a woman of 36 in black satin with pearls and then he just like promise me you'll never wear black satin promise me you'll never be 36 even the end where they have that kind of you know connection and they finally are on the same page and his whole like oh my gosh you seem so much older and I've killed something in you and that innocence I'm like okay do you want her to be are you going to continuously objectify her or are you ever going to let her be a person because humans are by nature flawed and we morph and (laughs) you're not allowing her to do that you're keeping her in this box that doesn't allow her to adjust to her circumstances or be any different than how she was when you met her and she is rather childlike she's very inexperienced she's very naive would you really want her to stay that way yeah, but I also that's also the part that I find unbelievable. Like she's doesn't have any parent I mean, someone who has gone through what she went through. I just don't believe that they would be that weak and I mean she she has she has to have some kind of survival technique like survival draw in her to go through you know being an only like being without parents, you know, then having to like create a way to make money. Like I get that maybe she's has to play that role but I feel like there should be some kind of inner strength in there well she'd only lost her dad very recently she lost him about a year before she met Max and he it sounds from what she says I mean he was a painter so he was an artist and it sounds like up until that point she'd had a father and then the second that she didn't have a father because I mean it sounds like he was they had a very companion like they they said that they were like very close but and it sounds like he's kind of hippie like you know hey I'm just gonna paint these trees I'm just gonna let us do our thing and so then she never really had to fend for herself because as soon as she died he died then she became a companion for somebody which who is also older and bossy and she's still put in a very childlike role so she's never really had an opportunity to be on her own or support herself I mean she's essentially a maid for someone who has a very very domineering personality who oh my god I hate that character I think, <laughs> oh yeah she was so awful she's awful she did scene, such a good job that entire <laughs> so unlikable. she was like one minute she's like oh I'll be her you know I'll walk her down the aisle since she doesn't have a you know and then turns on with like you're not ready for this you can't do it I'm like oh my god but I think her survival instincts come from making herself as small as possible Ooh, that's a good point that is as soon as she says anything you know her companion is or her employer is like you know I thought you were being a little too forward there or and in the book it goes into when she's with all of their friends she they only talk to her like a child like oh what have you been drawing lately like what are you up to today and then she just goes back to like 
handing out cards or right you know, and it's almost self-actualized talking. if she's going to be treated like this then and she's made it this far because she now is on her own she doesn't really view herself as marriageable material i mean this is a role that i think she's become accustomed to realizing that she has to play in order to just get to the end of her life and make it is you're right it's just being unassuming and not being forward because she doesn't feel like she has the capacity to really be a strong person or to kind of make her own decisions but i think stacy you're also missing all of that anxiety and internal monologue of her being like too afraid to talk to the servants or too afraid to be like i don't no, need I mean, this I big saw that. breakfast I, I, like, I saw all of that i just i, I just i don't know there no, was a I'm, part no i'm just saying i understand what you're saying because i came into that movie already knowing, knowing yeah all of her internal turmoil and even her perspective on rebecca we get so into her head and her obsession with rebecca which i thought they did that really well in the movie of yeah. her, like pulling out the handkerchief and that has her initial on it or something mm-hmm. and i think when i knew that something wasn't right with rebecca is that um, walk she has with Frank Crawley or or I think it's the stamp licking scene in the movie mm-hmm. where he goes you there's great things about you too you're nice and I'm like wait a minute Frank are you saying Rebecca wasn't nice and like at that point I was kind of on to what I was reading point. on the page wasn't actually like the real Rebecca and I just want to so the introduction to my version of Rebecca um, I just want to read this little part of it because she says the narrator has control and can shape, omit, distort, deceive. Few authors have exploited the power of the narrator with the sophistication and brilliance of Daphne du Maurier. Because I think that's so brilliant because we also never find out her name, which is part of her making right. herself so small. Yeah. And I'm glad that they kept this in the movie because in the show from 1997, they go almost all the way and then they like say her name at one point and I'm like, why would you ruin it? Like- that's a terrible stylistic choice. Exactly. Because that's the point is that she, the fact that she's kept nameless and the fact that the, you know, the no movie identity. and the book are titled yeah. Rebecca, it just kind of adds to what a large and grandiose presence she is. And I mean, especially, yeah, in the stamp looking scene or on the walk in the book, when she says, you know, one last question, what was she really like? All he comes up with is that she was beautiful. That's all he says yeah, is that she is, she I think, a predator and after him exactly. and Frank was very uncomfortable, but I don't think they go into that in the movie and I don't know if they no. were allowed to go they, into that. Jack in alludes to it. He says that it was almost reversed. He alludes to it at one point and says that Frank wasn't very successful with her and, you know, sorry, better luck with this one. But I mean, he at the same time, if that's the best you can come up with is I think she might have been the most beautiful woman that I've ever seen. That's not really going to help alleviate her feelings of insecurity. But at the same time, if you really think about it, if that's the best he can say, then who was she really? So, yeah, no, I definitely drew from that that one description exactly who Rebecca was. I was like, oh, OK, I, I get it. Right. Yeah. And predatory is a great word because that's exactly what she uses. Glamorous, just man eater. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and the women, too, like she the only person she can't fool is Beatrice. Yeah, she fools the mom, which we don't meet in the movie, but like mm-hmm. pretty much everyone is fooled by her except for Frank and B. And that's why I kind of love those characters so much, too. Yeah, I didn't view her as um, I forget the word you used, but I might be comparing her to the book version. But she's very I don't feel like she's necessarily overbearing. I think she's just very she's one of those people that wouldn't be taken in right by Rebecca. She's very direct. She's very clever. Oh, yeah, she's she very sure she, of herself. She, she was there would be no like for somebody that was like obsessed with beauty. She would like see right through it. Exactly. And I, and I do appreciate that aspect of her. I, I, I actually didn't. I did like her. Don't get me okay. Wrong. Okay, so she's. You actually, just wouldn't let her talk to you that way. I just way. wouldn't. <laughs> but but I, that's just who I am. You know yeah. what I mean? I think that's what part of me with this with the movie was is that I just had a really hard time relating. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I I am not that person that's gonna make. Like I don't understand smallness. It just like doesn't. Right. And it almost makes it you know for her for her anyways. I mean part of the reason why she'd have such a hard time talking to the servants and communicating with them is that that's probably who she identifies with i mean she just Mm -hmm. left she just left a very i mean menial position where that's essentially what she was so it's kind of the takeaway of like well who am i to be telling anybody what to do i mean these are she's the same as them i understand that aspect of it it's just i don't 
Yeah, I feel like they did a really, really good portrayal of how uncomfortable she was. And Max even says that. She, he says, like, oh, you're running around here like you're the housemaid. Like, why wouldn't you tell anyone that you broke this, like, which, China Cupid? Which was also a very childlike scene. Like, I can understand her not wanting to say that she broke it, even not knowing how valuable it was. But it's something she should have mentioned. And then just her terror at that. She's like, oh, my God, this guy's going to get fired. And everyone's so mad. And he doesn't he deals with things terrible honestly all of this kind of stems back to him in my opinion because all of her insecurities are stemming from the fact that she doesn't even think that he loves her well like, he never says it throughout the entire movie until the very end exactly yeah. which you know I mean? exactly so, point, so that's like, on him yeah i mean he's he's an abusive mean selfish selfish I, it's just I, I just moody just exactly. like just <laughs> Definitely, like, and I get issues. that she like calms him down, and like her weakness is why he like will flip into the nicer version. But there's just no balance for me. Like yeah. I just, I he yeah. wants to control her. He chooses someone he can, and the fact that this is made into a movie and represented to a female population as a as a, as a love story just to me angers me because I that's it, it's, it's really it's, not supposed to be a love story though. I like, know, it's supposed I know, to be but like a suspense. But because of how they changed the ending. See now that when you guys told me they changed yeah. the ending, that made now to me, now now it switches into not a love story because when they change the ending and they make him not murder, that was right. the, that was the aspect that to me made it more into a love story. And I you know I read mm-hmm. into like why they didn't do that, which is why I asked in the first place because it didn't. I was like trying to figure out what was they were talking about. So just to explain really quickly, um, because of the censorship laws at the time. You could not have a spouse be killed by their spouse and not be punished for it in a motion picture. That's why um, Max um, does not kill his wife in this one. She just trips and falls and hits her head. They say everything but. I mean, he's like, I wanted to. I might have. But he technically didn't. And you're right. That technicality really says a lot about the tone shift in the book. I mean, if anything, I like the fact in the book that he did actually. I (laughs) mean, it would have been more real. It would have matched his personality more so for me that switch just kind of like turned it into him actually being the victim and i know he was the victim but like it made him more victimized to me and then it made me like Mm. and then it made me like under like want her to save him from this life and i i I don't know there was something off about it and it just didn't work for me and I think it's interesting that I came across because I I like the fact that you haven't actually read it because then that being how most the people take their takeaway from the movie would probably be something similar is that I don't find this believable I don't really think this matches with everything else that we're doing that kind of thing and I mean that's true it really is kind of one of those things where it's like really I mean you hated her this much and she's goading you this hard and she just coincidentally fell like how nice for you yeah (laughs) yeah, that really just worked out way too nicely very clean exactly moment in the book and in the movie I love this because Mrs. DeWinter is more shocked at the fact that he doesn't love Rebecca like she won exactly then she is at him killing oh she his in wife, no way which cares is such a great twist exactly she in no way is bothered by the fact that I mean even if in the movie he had said yes no I did it she'd be like okay but wait you love me though wait but that's what we're still on like you actually yeah. care about me you didn't care about her well then I'm good like yeah. how many other people did you kill I don't care I have you that's <laughs> an interesting point because there's a line in the book that goes where he says I had forgotten how much blood there is when you kill someone mm-hmm. and somebody had mentioned that that could be an indicator that he has killed people before and to me I just thought like he didn't think about it before pulling the trigger and shooting her right. but there is kind of like the undertone of like he, you know he's not a good guy maybe he is I don't know we don't know and I honestly I don't think she cares either way she is yeah, 100% that's, that's, what I, that's the problem I have with the whole thing yeah, exactly is, is she just like has no like there's no Fear about this man who's killed his previous wife, or oh, like she wins in the end. Yeah, that's she all she's carrying about. She's she's up against this impossible task in her mind. I mean, this is her main priority. Is just I don't even think she's looking to win. She's looking for just equality. So the fact that she eventually surpasses her is just kind of beyond her wildest dreams because she's fighting against something that to her has been immortalized that Rebecca is she can do no wrong because she's already in her mind beloved she will never not be beautiful she will never be old she has you know she went up until her death without messing up terribly enough where anyone remembers anything but her perfection 
So that's something that as a living, breathing human, she would never be able to live up to or defeat. So the fact that she does, I mean, that's really, and it's sad because it speaks to kind of the weakness of her character (laughs) that this is her primary concern. But at the same time, I mean, I really truly think he could have told her anything and she definitely would have stuck with him definitely but okay well that's my main thing is that you love me back so we're cool (laughs) and there's just so many of those women in our society and I think that's why I had such a problem with the movie it's just that it it almost um shows an approving viewpoint of these kind of like that kind of character and that kind of um abusive relationship and I hate I I like that makes me angry and well I mean to their credit we're not really given these this hugely like you know at the end of it we see them gallivanting all over the place and you know they have these perfect happy lives it kind of sounds like from what I remember from my takeaway of the book is that you know they don't live at Manderley anymore they're they're happy but it kind of sounds like he's probably still moody it's kind of just the two of them well they still it's, don't talk about anything which exactly is the whole book yeah they don't communicate still but she's fine like she's okay with who or however he wants to be yeah. because of the fact that he cares about her and that's all she ever cared about but I like the fact that they don't make it this like Disney version happy ending kind of thing it's just kind of a more this is what happened to these characters and they have made their peace with that but I like that they don't hype it up in a way that seems like they're making it more okay than it is, I yeah, guess. Yeah, because they just live in hotels and she says, we never talk about Manderley. Exactly. Which is kind so of a Sarah huge thing to the, not talk about. Yeah, Sarah was the one who told me to read this book and I would just keep coming into work and being like, wouldn't you tell your husband if your maid asked you to kill yourself and throw exactly. yourself out of a window? Yeah, that's like never mentioned. <laughs> no, like, they don't it, talk it, about anything. They don't talk about anything, no. And it's mm. always like this weird veil between them until he tells her that he kills Rebecca. So how did you guys like Mrs. Danvers in this? I think she did a brilliant job of being the creepiest fucking person I've ever seen. Oh, she TV. never, I was watching her eyes. I'm like, does she blink? No, does she ever her, blink? Mr. Hitchcock told her not to blink. And oh. allowed. No, I was watching it and I'm like, I don't see her no, blink at any point. She does it so well. Told by Hitchcock, not she is not allowed to blink in any scene. So she like legitly doesn't blink. Yeah, which, which she impressive. does perfectly. Honestly, she keeps it so. She is such. Oh, what she is one of those literary characters where I'm like, wow, I can't really find anything redeeming about you. I guess your yeah. devotion, I guess your loyalty, no, but it's, it's to a terrible obsession. character. Yeah. Exactly. It's an obsession. Weren't there kind of some homosexual undertones in the book? Yeah, I feel like, like I felt like there was the, too. Like mm-hmm. she was just obsessed with her. Especially yeah. with the negligee yeah. and like, look, like, you can just, see right through yeah, it. Like and it was super creepy. I used to brush her hair a thousand <laughs> times. I mean, it was very much so kind of one of those characters that was also obsessed with Rebecca to the point where she was willing to die for for her and, um, ends and, up, and ends up dying for her in the even her memory in the 1997 version they do go into the house and rescue her mm-hmm. um and then in this one she dies which i think is a fitting ending but i th- when i was reading the book i actually thought she just sets the house on fire and leaves like, yeah know. that's the takeaway i got too but, but you don't, I don't know we don't know So they never like play out so that it changes oh, the last lines of the book are amazing because they're just like in the car the couple's in the car she wasn't left at the house and then um so they're driving back to manderley and it's really bright but there's no there's no moon or anything and then it goes the sky above our heads was inky black but the sky on the horizon was not dark at all it was shot with crimson like a splash of blood and the ashes blew towards us with the salt wind from the sea it's amazing See, I think that that your guys' love for this movie is based on the fact that it's a better portrayal in the book that a better portrayal of the book but the book is what you guys love and i and in, in from what i've read just from the synopsis i can understand it because it's written it's written like so, the imagery in the book is like amazing yeah like the first opening lines when they talk about just this yeah gothic mandolin ruins and the vines encroaching yeah, in on the path that was, it was brilliant which i love that they kept that in the movie too and that's the and that is exactly why i like the movie so much because <laughs> i've gotten so used to being disappointed in the film adaptations of things i try to make it a point to always read the book first and it's very very rare where i am completely satisfied with the job that they do on it and yeah. their portrayal of the novel because the book is almost always better and that's the first thing I was texting Steve while I was watching it and I'm like it's really rare to me that somebody makes a faithful adaptation where I feel like that was kind of more of the 
protocol back then is to you're trying to make a filmic version of the book. So the line should stay the same and the scenery should stay the same. The acting should stay the same. And that's really not how it is anymore. I feel like the book nine times out of 10 is a very loose, adaptable kind of start off place for the directors and the movie morphs into something completely different. And that's Mm -hmm. frustrating for me because if you're already a fan of something, if you already are invested in these characters, you have there's nuances that can never be addressed within the film because the movie, every movie would be 14 hours long. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you choose to cut and what you choose to change really matters. So when they change unnecessary elements, it's frustrating. So this was very faithful and that it's just very rare. <laughs> um, so I really loved Lawrence Olivier in this, and I thought I wouldn't like him. And he blew my mind because he's, to me, like so much of a dandy that I thought he couldn't be like a Max to Winter, and then he just killed it. Like, I <laughs> thought really? he did so well. Which, again, is perfectly, it makes it very justifiable to dislike him because he is just so, even when he's being kind to her, it's just so condescending. I mean, even when every time he should be aware enough to know when she's really trying or what she's trying to do but when she comes down in the black dress with her hair different it's basically like what the devil have you done to your hair and what are you wearing and then it's kind of like oh oh I see I see yes yes you look lovely I mean he just does that condescension so well no, he, I mean he's a phenomenal he did a phenomenal acting job in this movie there's a reason it won like I get it it's just <laughs> I just don't like it right. <laughs> yeah this is the only Hitchcock movie that won best picture this was in 1941 oh you I didn't know that think yeah. there'd be more of them but there aren't um one scene that I absolutely loved for the cinematography was her running on the cliffs after the dog oh and the yeah surface splashing on the rocks <laughs> I was like what like this movie looks so good even though it's in black and white or maybe because it's in black and white you know that that's that they had the ability to film in color and they chose black and white that was also something it was a direction that hitchcock made that he wanted to really in 1941 according to like a couple different articles that i read was that yeah he chose black and white he only wanted to film it black and white i'm happy that they did because i don't really remember color playing like a huge huge role within the book and because it is except for the flowers around the True, but I mean, you know, it's so gothic in nature that mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of helps it transcend and reach the screen a little more believably is that it makes it because it's supposed to be almost almost like a horror novel. I mean, it's highly it's been said in many of the articles that I've read about it that Rebecca's ghost is actually supposed to be a presence within the manor. I mean, she's essentially living in this giant haunted house with a very emotionally unsupportive husband with these people that she doesn't know with these <laughs> being haunted by these memories. And I feel like black and white was a sound choice for that because yeah, and even the dog is like, no, we used to walk here with Rebecca. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. all anybody <laughs> says is, oh, well, she liked it this way and she did it this way. And, and especially, I mean, and the subtlety is you're right the handkerchief that was a great touch when she's looking through her little uh, codex of addresses and it's addresses I mean she was writing to duchesses and all these kinds of things she's like awesome I have literally zero friends like, what am oh, I supposed to do and this scene we never get in the book and I in that scene in the movie where she just puts everything on the desk and is like throw all this stuff out that was yeah. so satisfying for it me it was like her one moment of like she's like okay yeah but that also I was like she made herself so weak and then all of a sudden she has like a power like after that really weird interaction with all of the clothes and the hairbrushes yeah, like I feel like she <laughs> like would have just stuff. curled up into a little ball in a corner and not moved and I get what they were trying to do and I feel like the film kind of needed that because how long can she really stay that mousy and expect us to not get over it it's like you were saying how she does kind of keep that faithfully until the end just in different ways the fact that she asserts herself a little bit does make her a little more endearing it's like okay she is changing with this because this is a very transformative experience for her this is the biggest and most important thing that's happened (laughs) to her in her life Mm. so the fact that she's even minusculely rising to that, I feel like was very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, but then she goes like immediately after that scene, she goes and rushes up to him and wants to have a ball. And he's like, why do you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I know, he's just so unsafe. He's like, you have to adapt here. You have to be the lady of the house. She's like, all right, I want to do this thing. Oh my God, but why? But like, why, <laughs> why do you want to have a ball? <laughs> like, like, I don't know, because I, I do don't nothing. dress up. <laughs> You're a grump. Exactly. She's like, I do literally nothing here. This is the first thing I've initiated. You should probably be happy that I'm taking an interest in your life and I'm trying to rise to this. Okay, the dressing. We should probably talk about the dressing. Just the costume. I do do want to point out about the color thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, in 1939, Gone with the Wind was in Technicolor. 
Oh, okay. Oh, yes, so it, but it, it used up all of the color reels available at the time, which were seven, which is why Pride and Prejudice couldn't be in color, and I'm still <laughs> upset about it. It's better than Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Fantastic back then. Yes, but that was a year. I mean, it, that Got was it. filmed. That, that was released in 1939, so when it was filmed... They would have had Yeah, color. they had time to By make that more. Time, they would have had color. It was Got an it. option. He chose not to. He and I'm really glad. I am glad he did. They yeah. kind no, of no, no. I think it worked better with the movie. I don't think it would have looked as good. I don't think they would have been able to play the different... Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. <clears throat> make it quite as yeah, haunted. Yeah, so the dress scene is where she dresses up in Rebecca's previous year's costume well, uh, by accident. Okay, well, no, 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 to back up a little further, just for anyone who hasn't seen or read it, it is a very quintessential power play on the part of Mrs. Danvers. So she has asserted herself. At this point, she has, you know, what she wants to have a ball she wants to kind of I feel like for her this is almost like a quinceanera-esque coming out as the lady of the house sort of thing like she is okay I am self-actualizing I am rising to this role I am doing what I am supposed to as Max de Winter's wife so she asks to throw this ball it is a costume ball it's something that they've done you know in previous years and she's trying to find the perfect costume because this is again her kind of announcing herself to the public she doesn't know what to do. She's sketching. She's looking through all these things. Um, it's after she's asserted herself to Mrs. Danvers. So they're on a kind of uneven ground. She's not sure how she's going to react to that assertion. And she passes her in a hallway by these huge, huge portraits of, I think, ancestors of mm-hmm. Maxwell's. And there are Maxims. Um, so there's these really, there's a portrait of a lady who I think was one of his great aunts or something mm-hmm. like that. Basically just a relative of his who's in this very fancy very just kind of dramatic gown with this hat with these curls and Mrs. Danvers is the one who suggests to her that you know oh I think that would be a great costume it's almost as though it were made for you and it's perfect she looks like a very glamorous Bo Peep almost and it does kind of suit who she is and she's kind of taking this because she is naive and she is by nature very sweet as a peace offering on the part of Mrs. Danvers, she gets the costume made. She's really, really excited. She keeps it secret from everybody. She has one maid. I think it's Clarice or something like that. She Who's has like just as like lowly as her. <laughs> exactly. Right? It's like her one one of her only friends within the <laughs> castle. Or I call it a castle because it essentially is. And so she doesn't let anybody see what she is. It's this huge, huge thing. And then she makes this very dramatic entrance into the foyer when she's in full costume with the hat and the dress and the curls. And it was something. And she also gets a wig because she describes her own hair as too mousy to pull it off. So, you know, she is a perfect adaptation of what the portrait is supposed to be and basically she's expecting you know Maxwell to fall deeply in love with her and people to be shocked by how beautiful she is and she as she descends the staircase everyone just freaks out like his sister actually thinks that it's you know Rebecca the ghost of Rebecca he's visibly just furious because he's like what are you doing um I was trying to remember how many people were actually there in the book in the movie it was just a handful it was Max his sister, her husband. But basically, this was the costume that Rebecca herself wore when they threw a ball. Was it the previous year? Was it that mm-hmm. recently? Mm-hmm. Wow. So <laughs> it was watching her come back from the dead and all of it was manipulated by Mrs. Danvers. And it was such a power play and just such an incredibly hateful I, thing to do. <laughs> I, I, it's so interesting listening to your guys' version of talking about it because you put, you literally take parts from the book and put it in there that were not in there. Like I had no idea that it was the actual dress she wore. I knew it was a dress she Oh, a, I guess like they don't make that very clear. I knew oh. it was like a stereotype. That's what I'm saying. Like it, sure, there are aspects yeah. of this that No, you guys, it was the like, exact same costume, like, which is what no made it so hateful. Of that. So you <laughs> think she actually like, yeah. yeah. And then like also there was another uh you great. thought that you thought that the sister thought it, you immediately said that she thought it was the ghost of Rebecca. You don't get that at all. Like you oh, just she think does that say she Rebecca, says Rebecca, but she yeah. says it very quickly and very quietly. Very, so yeah, if you didn't like, already you know, did, then did, you don't you don't think it's like the ghost. You just like you realize that she obviously is wearing the same dress, but like it's not same that dress, ghostly, same hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have no idea that she's wearing a wig. Yeah, that's, that's I guess true too. Like I don't do. know that the actress was supposed to be because like the actress. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that was her real hair. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. in the in the big, I think I know, it's but that's to, what I'm saying yeah. like about you when you're reading. You're like literally filling in things that you oh, already Stacey, have in right. mind, <laughs> and like already have. So you're like displaying the movie, but you're not really like you're, yeah. you're twisting the two because you've already warped it into your mind that they're the same. See, this the is why we thing. need you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was it was very interesting. I, I was, <laughs> yeah, and that's why I think it's such a hilariously dramatic. Like it's like Mrs. Danvers. Why? That's so mean. She She's already so easily crushable. Like, why do you have to crush her in these? Like, because that's the whole point. She wants her to leave and be gone. And she literally wants her to die. Like, yeah. she wants her to jump out that window and like. Yeah. Oh, perfect. That, I mean, that was what that whole scene was about. <laughs> exactly. Now I can live here with this memory. I want to talk about that dress. I tried to do research on it because this dress looks like a Southern American Civil it does, War dress. It does, doesn't it? Okay, just check in. Yeah. And no. then I looked at like Victorian fashion, all this stuff that Maxim's ancestors would have worn, and I was like, I think they just had this leftover from like Gone with the Wind and Probably. put her into it because those drop shoulders with yeah those, it was very that, southern belle yeah. and the hat too was very much so like okay just check in was it described <laughs> in the book and like I mean is that how you envision yeah, it yeah so I have it as um, it's a white dress with a big hat and puffed sleeves so there's actually very little description so they can pretty much do whatever looking they at different illustrations of the book and different movie versions everybody kind of has their own take on the dress because it doesn't mention a specific time period it just says like great great aunt right so you would have to do the math and yeah but even the person in the portrait might have been wearing a costume it never really makes that yeah that clear i mean clarice says it's a dress fit for the queen of england let's yeah, see yeah, I'm saying like it doesn't i mean it's not an english style dress it's kind of odd that it would be southern belle Okay, wait. Yeah. I'm going to read this paragraph. Heard, okay, hold on. The dance was being given for me in my honor because I was the bride. I sat on the table in the library, swinging my legs while the rest of them stood around. And I had a long end to go upstairs and put on my dress, try the wig in front of the looking glass, turn this way and that before the long mirror on the wall. It was new, the sudden unexpected sensation of being important, of having Giles, Beatrice, Frank, and Maxim all looking at me and talking about my dress, all wondering what I was going to wear. I thought of the soft white dress and its folds of tissue paper and how it would hide my flat, dull figure, my rather sloping shoulders. I thought of my own lank hair covered by the sleek and gleaming curls. So, I mean, just how excited she is about that. And also the image of her sitting on like a counter and kicking is also she's almost like a kid. <laughs> exactly. She's almost making herself childlike. And that's, that, that I, think, I actually think that the actress didn't do a good job with. Now, now that I'm like listening to like the, how she's described in her inner monologue, I, I don't think she makes herself childlike. I think she just makes herself small. And I feel like the childlike, the, the only childlike feeling i get about her is how other From people husband, talk to yeah and but she doesn't ever to me yeah. come off childlike she comes off just small which is again you can't it's hard to do when it's all in I, and i'm saying yeah. I, I get that but i, I never get how she views her also the costume department puts her in these great clothes all the time and then the book it's always like oh really out of season ill-fitting like like, beige and white yeah very everybody kept up uh, dressing like the way you dress you obviously don't care how you look and she looks fine like i'm like like, looking at her clothes i'm like yeah it was perfectly in fashion then i've seen a thousand movies about this time era and that was like that was no i don't know i just to me it was like exactly well it, it didn't sense. fit imagine like in this time i'm trying to think like a very like a mousy like librarian assistant that only shops at thrift stores like that's what she was kind of supposed to be in I, the I feel like what they failed to do was like <laughs> yeah. costume needed a little help on this movie so right like, she did not look awkward enough she was yeah, supposed to like, look so well I, and i get it it's hollywood they want to make her still appear attractive you know mm. what i mean but there was other ways to do it i don't know maybe she needs some glasses and i just <laughs> <laughs> i mean whoa let's not go that far I mean, come on, but... um so frank crawley in the book you kind of get this feeling that he he's on maxim's side but he knows what really went down yeah um and in this one i actually really like that last line in the end where he almost tells him where he's like frank there's something you don't know and then frank says uh oh no there isn't you know, I kind of right. really like that. That's what I mean by Frank's a homie. He yeah, also, he just like, just like the nameless narrator, he really just kind of has his back through and through. He's like, no, I already know. And it's cool. I still and got you. We're still friends. I mean, he's a representative of the estate. Mm-hmm. So I think he's a very minor character, but you kind of have to put yourself in his shoes and like he wouldn't want the name of Manderley and the family to be sullied and dragged to the dirt. The 
way Rebecca was going about it, like behind everybody's back, right? True. I mean, but also nothing would really do that so much as the scandal of it being brought to light that he murdered this beloved public figurehead. But I also, I feel like he still supported him for noble reasons. Like I feel it had less to do with, you know, his concern about his finances or his concern about this estate and more so about the fact that he was just a really loyal friend. Yeah, but this is the thing, like in the book, do they show that friendship more? Like, do they, do they show their interaction at all? I feel so, a little more. in the movie, it's like, you just see him as like, they hang out like twice exactly yeah, yeah. Just, there's not really a relationship you don't really understand the loyalty you just kind of assume like now i'm not, I'm not saying that they didn't do it. he didn't do a good job because i think he did but i just I, I i dislike the lead character so much that like i always found it like why is he being loyal to yeah him? Like, what on earth do you see in this person that you like <laughs> like they, they, he has a violent temper like he's super moody he like stomps off like what isn't going to make you loyal to this man because you're great so why exactly <laughs> so i mean it yeah. in the book i mean you guys again what are you bringing into this that i'm not seeing i don't remember if it's necessarily clear if they've known each other since childhood but it's more it just it seems that he's known him pre-rebecca pre everything he's kind of like his oldest and most trusted friend so they basically do everything together he sees her or he sees him arguably a lot more than he sees his own sister so it's kind of a very familial like you are the only person i trust he is the he could they essentially go like golfing shooting that kind of thing so you get that all from the book i yeah i feel like i did yeah i feel like it was a lot it was better represented that they spend all like free and business time together because Max is very isolated for how much he doesn't need mm-hmm. to be. And I think he likes it that way. So there's very few people he chooses to spend his company with. I mean, obviously he likes his sister and he likes her husband, but even them, it's kind of like, oh, I guess they're coming over. Like, yeah. oh, I don't know how many times the husband put his foot in his mouth, like throughout the movie. He's oh like wait. constantly putting his foot in his mouth. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I think that they kind of need that balance wise between them, the, between the two, because she's so like matter of fact, and this is how it is. And he's just like, a goof just a goober (laughs) (laughs) which actually in the book it was the mrs de winter who was like yeah we should go sailing or whatever and then everybody's just silent i'm almost glad they changed that because i feel like she didn't need any more obstacles like she was her own worst obstacle but at that (laughs) point she still doesn't know what happened because they never talk about it exactly nobody fills her in on anything and i think that's what this is why wouldn't you ask i mean mean, she she starts to ask like she asks Frank, right? Frank, a yeah. bunch of questions. And it's obviously it even makes him uncomfortable to answer the questions. But it's like... It's this huge... Se- but you know what? I've I've known people like that where, you know, really traumatic things happen and there are things that need to be discussed. And it's either just too painful or they have very stubborn personalities. And it's something that they're unwilling to relive to kind of the detriment of everyone around them because it's a very unhealthy coping mechanism. And it's something that, you know, being a newcomer to that situation, if you're not already kind of grandfathered in, if you weren't there for the events and they're unwilling to discuss them because it's too painful, then how would you know? And also, if there's somebody that kind of has anger issues, which Max obviously does, then they would know that if he doesn't want to discuss it, then he's going to view anyone else discussing it as bringing up things that he considers to be dead and over. And he might view it. Remember that uh, scene where she alludes to gossip at some point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he she gets to gossip and he immediately he gets, gets irate. I think he has a lot of anger issues. He has a lot of pride issues and he doesn't like being discussed behind his back so and his friend would know that which again is just a flaw in his character a lot of this stems from his unwillingness to adapt or heal or change yeah but that's the other thing is why are all these people loyal to him so again there's oh, another he's person a big guy in the town like yeah, he but, owns everybody exactly <laughs> and i mean he's, he's not like this this loyalty that goes it feels like it goes beyond like it, I feel is it like a loyalty that goes beyond to me than it, it like you feel in at least in the movie they make you seem like there's a reason you should like they there's a loyalty like a love almost and well, I don't get that I, like I don't understand it because I don't like the main character in any way so like even the police chief who's like willing to like ignore evidence or you know what I mean like it well because they're loyal to the estate and they're also, partially employed by him too also so. I feel like something that didn't come across about his character was his charisma because he is you know he is supposed to be moody he is supposed to be kind of you know the dick he is portrayed as (laughs) however um he's also supposed to be very witty very charismatic very kind of you know 
somebody that people want to be around. And I think it can also be argued that he could be a way worse owner of everyone, if that makes sense. Like he could be a lot more tyrannical. He could be a lot more of a jerk to the servants. He just kind of stays out of it. And I feel as far as the perspective goes, he's a rather benevolent ruler when it comes down to it. He's just kind of descending ass. He is, but I mean, she's one of the only ones that really has to deal with that. No, he does it to other people too. Like how he was dealing with that. Uh, broken artifact and how when mm-hmm. they, why do they bother me with this? Exactly, well, it's you're the fucking owner of the house. Dude. Exactly, like, he just wants to be left alone. You're supposed to respond. You're supposed to bring it to you, and he like, does not want to deal. With it. I think that's why he overlooks so much with Mrs. Danvers because that was my when I initially read it when I read it for the first time. I'm like, why is she still employed here? Like, why? Yeah. Is, and it's because he's so far removed from the actual going ons of his home and his estate that. I think he just essentially wants to be left alone and he knows that she can run it. He knows that she knows what to do and he has to devote the least amount of attention to things that should really be his job as possible. So I feel like he's willing to overlook a lot for the convenience of not having to involve himself, which again, character flaw. (laughs) I I actually, I got a little bit of a different take. I feel like he allowed her to do so much more for the fact that it was like his own torment. Like, Hmm. like, he likes to be he wants to feel the pain of what he did like i do feel like he torments himself a little bit and i i think the the first break he gets from like wanting to be have his own thing again is when he meets her Mm -hmm. and so that was i i feel like he lets her do the rebecca thing because he wants that image there like he needs that reminder okay so because because he's very vocal about the fact that he hated rebecca do you think he wants that torment out of... Do you think that kind of speaks to him being a nicer person than he's portrayed as and he feels guilty about the murder? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Because I kind of view it as he views the narrator as this perfect, innocent, untouched thing. And he says at one point in the beginning that he never thought he'd even go back to Manderley again. So that obviously changed. He's back at Manderley. And I think a lot of the guilt stems from the fact that he he keeps saying it was very unfair of me to marry you. It was selfish of me to marry you because he's kind of immersing her in the quagmire of his past transgressions. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I don't know if he's necessarily guilty because he committed murder. I definitely think that's part of it. And a lot of it is the fact that she is now tied to him like she he took this kind of what he views as this perfect, beautiful, innocent thing. And he's associating Mm -hmm. her with, you know, murder and lust and rage and hate and all those kinds of things that he doesn't want to mar her with so i think Lawrence olivier is actually very charming at least uh, some notes i had in here was like when he takes a tennis racket and he just puts in like the flower pot or like all these still controlling very controlling he's like oh you're not going to tennis but (laughs) but he kind of has his ease about him in his movements um, like whenever I see a performance with him, he he just knows what to do with his body and this very fluid like dance like motions that I'm I don't know I just really watch maybe I'm just taken in by the magic. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought he did that really well. And then also another person I really liked was um, Favel and that intro scene. Oh, of him he does so so jumping well. Jumping through the window, <laughs> I was like, He's oh, that's. So- that's all you need for that character of course he wouldn't go through a door he would just jump through the window and like come in and the way he even says he's like oh no the mistress of the house was there hiding behind the tapestry or like hiding behind the door i mean he is so just obsequious like he did a very very good job of being just this kind of shady used car salesman kind of not a used car salesman in the book kind of like that change though exactly because i mean even metaphorically like i wasn't even saying it because he sold his cars i was saying it because that's your image of somebody with slicked back hair tweed suit flipping a coin like kind of thing i mean he did this very much so uh he was just an untrustworthy oily character <laughs> and Who had sex with his cousin yeah frequently yeah he wanted her to I, be pregnant i'm surprised that they left the cousin that they thing left in. at yeah. yeah because uh to me though i was like i was like i would think that that would be looked very downly down upon. yeah i was glad that they kept it because i mean that is it kind of speaks a lot to who rebecca was i mean and she he was not the only person that she was sleeping with either i mean and then also that he that he thought that he was like her one true love and then mrs danvers comes in she's like 
I used to watch her shake with laughter at the lot of you. Like you all, none of you are anything to Rebecca. Like you're all just toys to be played with. Which is, like, I think, what unhinged her in the end is her viewing that she was her only confidant and the only people that person that she actually cared about, and then not knowing that we haven't even told anybody listening yet that how it ends, why she's killed. She actually, um, she had cancer. She had inoperable. She was going. To, so she was viewed as this very. <clears throat> you know, beautiful, stately, beloved mistress of this house. And um, in the end of it, she goes to Maxwell and tells him that she is pregnant with another man's child. And basically, how will you feel watching my son, you know, grow up and take over Manderley when you die, um, inciting him to murder her because she's the only person that knows that she actually has not in cancer. The movie. Not in the movie, <laughs> but in the book. And sort of in the movie, movie sort of in the she movie. Her. Right. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. That's the change. Is that in the movie, um, she's telling him all the same things. He wants to kill her. She slips and falls and hits her head. And he hides her body on a boat, which sinks and it eventually pokes a hole yeah. <laughs> from the inside and makes it sink. Right. And so, you know, what actually the huge takeaway is that the reason this is brought to court and everything is because her cousin had a note saying um, from her saying, I have something to tell you. Come visit me this night. And that's why he's saying this obviously wasn't a suicide. Somebody who was, you know, ready to die wouldn't write a note like this. He thought she was pregnant. Um, he, she wanted Max to believe that she was pregnant, but in reality she had inoperable cancer, which she told no one, not even Mrs. Danvers, which is, I think what unhinges her and leads her to light the estate on fire and die in the movie, possibly die in the book. Which that was a great scene of watching the house on fire through the windows of the car as they're driving up. Um, and it's even in the opening scene, you can tell it's a miniature. It's not a real house. <laughs> and also all the sets and locations were built in California. So none of this actually takes place in, in England or anything. But I think you can get away with it in black and white. And, yeah. you know, by the sea, kind of all similar. <laughs> I did really like the contrast between the two rooms, how Rebecca's room had these high ceilings. It was so a view grand. of the ocean. And then she's just in this kind of smaller I room mean, on the other side. do they explain that in the book? Obviously, he wouldn't want to put her in the same room, which is almost, I feel, a it's kindness on his can, part. You can hear the ocean from that side, and it reminds me, him of Rebecca's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, actually, even the even the main character says, like, "Oh, actually, I would not want to uh, live in the West Wing because it's really loud with the ocean, and you don't see the flower beds." So, yeah, I feel like he I think almost it has to do with like a portrayal of who they are as people. Exactly, yeah. they're so, very. Like, she's very. Um, you know, Rebecca was very term term tumultuous. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for. And um, her room is very grandeur and pretty, but it, when you come to it, it's not comfortable. It's not mm. warm. There's nothing there. It's yeah. just grandeur. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Beautiful. Um, versus the yeah. nameless narrator. Yeah, the nameless yeah. Oh, um, there is something I do want to bring up. Go actually, ahead. And I thought this was really interesting. Um, you know that they did a writing. So they went to a writing and analysis to have them come up with the um all of the, the the style of writing oh yeah and if you look at it it's supposed to if you psychoanalyze the writing it actually represents rebecca in how they did the looping and everything so like that whole all the letters and stuff were like they took like a, a ton of time trying to like figure out like Good. how to display her like, handwriting yeah her handwriting and what the loops were so that it would mm. like actually define who she was because she was essentially a sociopath I yeah, mean <laughs> they spent a lot of time on that in the book always saying like oh the sloping a at the end like mm-hmm. they they describe her handwriting a lot and it's not similar to the movie at all mm-hmm. but I love the font they chose yeah. for the movie it's really really good and well, then they, also the drawings oh my god her drawings of all the little like most cartoonish like fashion style things. I know. Yeah. So She's such good. a cute I little sketch those. artist. I mean, that's the thing. She just views herself as good at nothing. I mean, she's like, oh, my my father was an artist, but I'm not very good. She and, throws like, it in the trash. She <laughs> throws everything in the trash. She's like, I'm not very interesting. I'm not, I don't understand. I mean, even when he asks her to marry him, she's like, don't tease me. That's not funny. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm so upset. He's like, no, really? <laughs> like, but he also asked her like through the bathroom exactly. door. He's <laughs> like, all right, well, and hey, he doesn't girl. even, he doesn't really ask ask her i think he says yeah would you rather live in america or come with me to manderley and she's like oh don't tease me he's like no like which one would you prefer and she's like i don't know what you're talking about he's like i'm asking you to marry me you little twit basically no, and i'm like yeah. oh romantic like you fool i think is the actual <laughs> exactly. word she uses. Idiot. <laughs> <I'm just kinda laughs> like, 
<laughs> oh, so romantic. Yeah. And then you see the wedding party go by and the girl that's in the dress and has all the friends and has all the things. He's like, oh, you probably would have liked that. Here's some flowers. Like, happy wedding day. <laughs> like, but I mean, because she is so small and so obsessed with him and kind of so used to now being on her own, I feel like she unhealthy though it is really doesn't need anything other than him and that's kind of the takeaway at the end is that they have each other they don't talk about it and she's okay with that she's okay with his mood swings she's okay with his anger she's she, totally okay with his abusive personality that yep. makes her like even smaller than she is <laughs> yep she's just happy to sit by his side in different hotels and dream about manderley <laughs> but even in the book when they get married and they just go to like a you know, like a desk or notary or whatever, and they get it done. And she's like, oh, what about like a big celebration and a dress and all that? And, and he just says, I already had all that with my last wife. <laughs> like he doesn't, he's like, he doesn't even care what she wants. <laughs> she's like, right, they're done cool. that. <laughs> you don't need Perfect. it. Nope, you, you don't. need what I tell you. Exactly, you you're yep. fine. Um, but that's basically it, right? Yeah, I think it? I think we touched upon all the main points. Which I don't think we left anything Beautiful. out, but I think that's a pretty <laughs> um, for anybody listening. I recommend reading the book and seeing the movie. But <laughs> yeah, definitely read the book first, or you're gonna have the same reaction I have. <laughs> but it is a wonderful novel, and it was a very faithful adaptation. I'm really happy I watched it. Um, so you can find us at Modern Life Pod on YouTube, at gmail.com, on Instagram, anywhere you find podcasts. And Sarah, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making me read this book. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome. You thought you could be Mrs. DeWinter, live in her house, walk in her steps, take the things that were hers, but she's too strong for you. You can't fight her. No one ever got the better of her. Never, never. She was beaten in the end, but it wasn't a man, it wasn't a woman. It was the sea. Oh, stop it, stop it, oh, stop it. <laughs>